0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Canada. For more info, visit SovereignGraceChurch.ca. Well, my wife and I recently had the opportunity to reflect on the birth of our firstborn child. Uh, she's sitting right there in the pink. Hi Lily. Um, the reason why we've had opportunity to think about it is we uh, we just found out a few weeks ago that we are expecting our sixth child, and uh, we're just like, wow! How, how did we have so many over the years? Uh, you know, we've we've been married since 2010, and here we are, six children later, um, and uh, it, it really does make us think: what, what are we? What have we gotten ourselves into? Um, anyways, the birth of our first child it was it was 2011. We were living in a basement apartment. In the Jane and Finch area, uh, because I was attending law school at the time. It was my third year of law school. Um, and uh, one morning, it was June 2nd, 2011, uh, my wife told me that she believed that she was in labor. Now I'm like, well, shouldn't it be more certain than that? I mean, this is our first time. We're not really sure what labor is supposed to look like. She's feeling the contraction. She's timing it. She's like, I think I'm in labor. I'm not sure. So we, we monitor it throughout the morning and the early afternoon. Uh, and By 3.30 p.m., nothing had really changed, this kind of state of uncertain labor. Um, but what we decided to do is, is drive into the neighborhood of North York General Hospital, where we were going to deliver our baby, um, and maybe walk around IKEA for a while, you know, get a $1 ice cream, and uh, at least we're right beside the hospital if things escalate quickly. So within five minutes of driving, um, you know, I'm thinking about you know, getting this ice cream and, you know, getting the cinnamon bun at Ikea, but within five minutes of driving, Nina's contractions just got a lot worse, and she's like, this baby is coming out right now, Um, and I'm just like, well, okay, I'm getting ready for a roadside delivery, this is our first time, and we're not sure where all this is going, Uh, thankfully, we made it to the hospital, uh, but within about an hour of arriving at the hospital, our little baby girl was born, you know, we, it was, it was really, um, it was really amazing, And I've always wondered how I would react to holding my firstborn child. You know, would I start weeping? Would I start laughing? Would I start hugging everybody in the room? Uh, But when the moment finally came, I found myself with just one thought running through my mind. There really was a baby growing in there all along. (laughs) That's it. There really was a baby in there. Of course, we knew that theoretically. You know, her, her stomach wasn't ballooning for no reason. Um, but there was nothing quite like that moment of grasping the reality that there was a human being there growing, developing, being nurtured in my wife's womb. And here we are holding our firstborn child. Well, that's what it feels like for our church today. You could say that we have been pregnant with this idea... For several months, our firstborn child. Uh, she's sitting right there in the pink. Hi, Lily. Um, the reason why we've had opportunity to think about it is we uh, we just found out a few weeks ago that we are expecting our sixth child, and uh, we're just like, wow, how, how did we have so many over the years? Uh, you know, we've we've been married since 2010, and here we are, six children later. Um, and uh, it, it really does make us think, what, what, are we, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, anyways, the birth of our first child, it was, it was 2011. We were living in a basement apartment in the Jane and Finch area, uh, because I was attending law school at the time. It was my third year of law school. Um, and uh, one morning, it was June 2nd, 2011, uh, my wife told me that she believed that she was in labor. Now I'm like, well... Shouldn't it be more certain than that? I mean, this is our first time. We're not really sure what labor is supposed to look like. She's feeling the contraction. She's timing it. She's like, I think I'm in labor. I'm not sure. So we, we monitor it throughout the morning and the early afternoon. Uh, and By 3.30 p.m., nothing had really changed, this kind of state of uncertain labor. Um, but what we decided to do is, is drive into the neighborhood of North York General Hospital where we were going to deliver our baby. Um, And maybe walk around Ikea for a while, you know, get a $1 ice cream, and uh, at least we're right beside the hospital if things escalate quickly. So within five minutes of driving, um, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, getting this ice cream and, you know, getting the cinnamon bun at Ikea, but within five minutes of driving, Nina's contractions just got a lot worse, and she's like, this baby is coming out right now. Um, and I'm just like, well, okay. I'm getting ready for a roadside delivery. This is our first time, and we're not sure where all this is going. Uh, thankfully, we made it to the hospital. Uh, but within about an hour of arriving at the hospital, our little baby girl was born. You know, we it was it was really um, it was really amazing. And I've always wondered how I would react to holding my firstborn child. You know, would I start weeping? Would I start laughing? Would I start hugging everybody in the room? Uh, but when the moment finally came, I found myself with just one thought running through my mind: there really was a baby growing in there all along. <laughs> That's it. There really was a baby in there. Of course, we knew that theoretically. You know, her her stomach wasn't ballooning for no reason, um, but there was nothing quite like that moment of grasping the reality that there was a human being there, growing, developing, being nurtured in my wife's womb, and here we are holding our firstborn child. Well, that's what it feels like for our church today. You could say that we have been pregnant with this idea for several months. In fact, it was on May 3rd, 2019, almost exactly nine months ago, that Jim Verkike approached us and said, are you interested in perhaps inheriting a building? Nine months of thinking about this, praying about this, planning for this, the idea has been present in the life of our church over these nine months. But we haven't truly grasped this reality until this moment. There were moments when we thought that it wasn't going to happen, and we got really excited at first, and then we got a little less excited, and then we got really excited... And uh, and here we are now having our first service here. It's not until now that we finally realize that there really was a baby in there all along. At this point, like any new parent, the emotion that many of us feel isn't so much excitement as it is shock. This idea that we've been dreaming about for so long has actually become a reality. And we're in shock. And it's going to take some time for the shock to go away, just like it takes for the shock to go away from new parents, first-time parents. But we're going to have to learn quickly, not just about how to manage a building, we've never had our own building before, but we're going to have to learn how to do church in a new context, in a new community. Because, you know, if, we're, if we truly understand what the nature of the church is, the church isn't a building, it's a people, and that's why doing church can be so hard and so rewarding. It's, it's not about the building, it's about the people. It can be hard because people, including me, we are sinners. We are inherently selfish. We do not naturally incline to love of God and neighbor. But that is also, because, uh, that is also why uh, doing church can be so rewarding. Because by the grace of God, working in our lives through the application and proclamation and receiving of the word of God into our lives, we gradually become people who love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so if you're here today as a former member of Westside Community Church or Springdale Christian Reformed Church, I want to begin by saying thank you. On behalf of our church, on behalf of Sovereign Grace Church, I want to say thank you for giving our church a home. You know, we were planted in 2004, um, so about 16 years ago, and since then we have been nomads. We've been meeting in Cookstown, and then we met in Vaughan for a while, and then we've been in King City over the last nine years. But now because of your generosity, we finally have the chance to call this beautiful building our church home. Thank you for that Thank you for this undeserved kindness, this unexpected act of generosity. We do not deserve this. I ask that you pray for us. Pray that the Lord would keep us faithful to his word, faithful to his people, so that he might be glorified in us. But as we start settling into this community and we figure out how to do church well, I must also ask you to be patient with us. I'm sure that many of you have wonderful, excellent ideas about how we can do church well, but sometimes the most helpful thing you can do for new parents is to give them time. You know, just let them figure it out. We need encouragement, we need support, we need counsel, yes, but we, we just need time. We need time to figure out how to do it well. We're gonna make mistakes. But if you're a parent, you know that often it's the mistakes that teach you the best lessons. We believe that by God's grace, Over time, despite and perhaps even through our mistakes, we will become the kind of church that he wants us to be. Now, as we move forward, I want you to know that the elders of Sovereign Grace Church um, definitely have one eye towards the future, what it means for Sovereign Grace to do church well in this new context, but we will also have one eye to the past, because we don't see this as the end of one church's story and the beginning of another church's story, this is the Lord's story. He has been the author of this story from the beginning, and he will author it to the end. He has been working behind the scenes from the moment this church started in 1952 to this moment, February 2nd, 2020, which, by the way, is a cool date, 2022020 We'll never forget this date, February 2nd, 2020. God is at work, and he will continue to be at work to accomplish his divine purposes. Some of you may remember the last time we were here, which was actually the last time there was a Sunday service here in this sanctuary. It was September 15, 2019. You gave us the honor and the privilege of leading that service. You'll remember, uh, perhaps, what I preached on. I preached from the verse that's imprinted on a plaque to the left side of the front doors of this building. Lamentations 3, verse 23. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What a wonderful service that was. I remember um, many people with tears in their eyes as they grieved the death of their church, but yet walking around with smiles on their faces because they knew that this was not the end. God was and still is at work. And he is showing that to us this morning. Today, what I want to do is I want to preach from a verse that's imprinted on the right side of the front doors, that plaque with the date of the building on it, 1998. Below that, there is a verse reference, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, and this is what it says. This is from the English Standard Version, the ESV. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What a wonderful verse, and that is our starting point as we begin this new chapter in the history of Sovereign Grace Church and the history of this building. Um, this verse will prepare us well for this new chapter, and so um, please open your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, or perhaps you have a different translation than the English Standard Version, um, the sermon text is printed inside your bulletin, Second Corinthians chapter 4, the verse that's printed on the wall is verse 15, but for the context, I'll be reading verses 13 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. This is the word of the Lord. Since we have the same spirit of faith... extending God's grace, extending God's grace. And my aim today is to show you that God's grace extends when God's people live for others. God's grace extends when God's people live for others. We're going to break up our text today into two points. First, suffering for your sake. And second, speaking for your sake. Suffering and speaking for your sake. Now, at first glance, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 is quite a simple verse with a wonderfully simple and encouraging message. I think that's why it's a wonderful choice for imprinting on the wall. You know quite quickly what it means. It's a verse about the extending of God's grace. But what is God's grace? You know, we think about that word. We perhaps use that word. We sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But but what is grace? What is the biblical definition of God's grace? Well, God's grace can be simply defined as his unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor. It's expressed in many different ways. It's the love that he gives to the unlovable. It's the strength that he gives to the weak. It's the forgiveness that he gives to the to those who have sinned against him. It's the favor that he gives to those who have never earned it. Grace is the opposite of merit. Now, we know a lot about merit, don't we? Merit says that if you want something, you have to earn it. If you want a higher salary, you have to earn it. If you want more respect, you have to earn it. If you want more self-worth, you have to earn it. You have to do what you have. You need to do things to deserve what you have. We know what that's all about because the world that we live in is a world of merit. It's not a world of grace. It's a world of merit. It is a meritocracy where the expectation is that you only have what you have earned. But grace, grace is radically different. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. We don't, earn God's favor. We receive it as a gift. If we had to earn it, then it would no longer be grace. By definition, it would be merit. By definition, grace gives us what we do not deserve, and that is why grace is so radical. And grace is possible because of one reason. It's, it's possible because of Jesus Christ. We receive grace Because he didn't. Our favor came from his rejection. Our innocence came from his condemnation. We get what we don't deserve because he got what we do deserve. God's righteous judgment. On the cross, he suffered, bled, and died in our place for our sins so that instead of wrath, we would receive grace as a free and undeserved gift. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved wretches like us. One of the most amazing things about grace is that it is contagious. And I'm not talking about the bad way like the coronavirus. By the way, I'm thankful that you're all here despite the fear that's being spread about how contagious this is and how dangerous it is. Grace doesn't spread like a virus. It spreads like a sweet aroma from one person to another as Christ is proclaimed and believed upon and more and more people become the undeserving recipients of God's grace. They are transferred from the kingdom of merit and into the kingdom of grace. And as that happens, those people who have received grace join in the song of amazing grace as they give thanks to God for this indescribable and undeserved gift. That's what verse 15 is about in a nutshell. It's about the grace of God that has been shown to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's about how this grace extends to more and more people as the church bears witness through our words and through our works. And it's about how that witness ultimately increases thanksgiving to the glory of God, God is the one who receives the glory because God is the one who has made grace possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we could probably all go home and be satisfied because that verse is just simply stunning and rich and soul-edifying. But if we left, we would actually be missing out on some of the most profound treasures hidden within this verse, Because the key to truly understanding this verse is actually found in the words that we haven't yet addressed. The first seven words in verse 15. For it is all for your sake. These words remind us that we are actually jumping into the middle of a conversation between Paul and the Corinthians. Verse 15 isn't a standalone verse. It is planted within a context context. And the context infuses it with deeper meaning. And that context, as we're going to see, is the key to understanding the entire verse. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to understand the context. We're going to try to understand what Paul is talking about when he says, it is all for your sake. Paul, what are you doing? What is the all in verse 15? What are you doing for the sake of the Corinthians? What are we to do for the sake of one another so that grace may extend. This is about the how to the what. This is helping us to understand how it is that grace extends to more and, people, more and more people so that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And it is this understanding that is going to help us to springboard from this Sunday and become a church full of love that is committed to truth for the glory of God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire New Testament. Uh, we read the entirety of it earlier in our service. Janine Simpson did a wonderful job. Uh, it doesn't take long to realize that the context of verse 15 is the Apostle Paul's personal suffering. It's his personal suffering and how God has met him in that suffering. It's actually one of the main themes of the entire letter of the entire letter that we know as 2 Corinthians. A good example of this is the well-known passage earlier in chapter four, where Paul writes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now, that, that is what we need to keep in mind when we read verse 15, when we read these words, for it is all for your sake, he's saying all this persecution, all this affliction that we are facing, all this suffering that we endure, it's for your sake. So that through our suffering, through that that affliction, through that persecution, grace is extending to more and more people, increasing thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, it wasn't Paul's, blessings. It wasn't Paul's accomplishments. It wasn't Paul's ministry highlights that led to the increasing of God's grace. It was his suffering. It seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? That in our weakness, God would work most powerfully. That in our suffering, God would extend his grace. But this really is a basic axiom a basic principle of the Christian faith. It is when we are weak that we are strong. It is when we are insufficient in ourselves that we find grace in Christ. It is when we are stretched far beyond our natural human capacities that we experience the power of God. Paul wrote about this in verse seven. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay, weak, fragile, breakable, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He wrote about it again in verse 10. We carry in in the body the death of Jesus, the sufferings of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Or perhaps most famously, fast forward a bit into chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace extends through our suffering to others. And that means that when suffering arrives at the door of the Christian, we do not despair. Instead, we go on the lookout for how God's grace is extending to more and more people. When that cancer diagnosis hits, or when you hear the news about that car accident, or when your friends unexpectedly betray you, you look beyond the pain Of all of that with the eyes of faith, and say, God is extending His grace to me and to others, not despite that suffering, but because of that suffering. It is through the pain that God's grace is being multiplied, and that's why we can bear it. We bear it knowing that God is being glorified to the extending of His grace. And that, my friends, is the power of the gospel. The gospel shows us that God extends his grace to us, not despite the suffering of his son, but because of it. It was through the mockery and the pain and the betrayal and ultimately the death of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have become the recipients of God's amazing grace. Without his death, without his suffering, we would be under his wrath rather than under his favor. Now, if that was true of Christ, shouldn't it be true of Christians, those who are called by the name of Christ? Like our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to suffer so that grace would extend to more and more people to the glory of God. Now, if you're here today and you're a former member of Westside or Springdale, I want you to see this is what you have done for us. You have suffered for our sake. You have faced the suffering of seeing your church die with the eyes of faith rather than the eyes of despair. If you had gone through this experience with the eyes of despair, then this church, this property would belong to a neighboring farm or to a developer or to a condo. You would have given up. You'd have perhaps lost your faith that God is at work, that God is good, that God is accomplishing his purposes through the local church, but you didn't. You didn't give up. You looked at your suffering with the eyes of faith, and you saw it as an opportunity to be a blessing, to be an extension of God's grace. And we at Sovereign Grace have been the undeserving recipients of your amazing Grace, my friends, grace is already spreading. It is already extending. That verse on the right side of the front doors of this building has, have, has served to be prophetic. Grace has extended to more and more people, increasing thanksgiving to the glory of God. It has spread from you to us. And now it is our prayer that it would spread from us us to the communities that are around us. But in order for that to happen, we need to do what you have done for us. We need to be a community that suffers for the sake of others. A community that sees suffering not as a temptation to curse God, but as an opportunity to bless God and to bless others. Left to ourselves, this would be impossible. But by God's amazing grace, we can become a church like that, the same grace that he has given to you, we believe he will also extend to us so that grace would extend to more and more people and increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's the first thing we are to keep in mind when we read verse 15. We are to suffer for the sake of others. But there's something else we are to keep in mind, which leads to our second point, speaking for your sake, speaking for for your sake. Now, this really is just a companion to the first point. Part of the way that we suffer for the sake of others is by speaking about that suffering to others as we go through it. That's what Paul's talking about in verses 13 and 14. He says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we also speak. What Paul's doing there is he's, he's quoting, There, I believed and so I spoke. That's a quotation from Psalm 116, verse 10. If you read Psalm 116, you'll see that uh, the psalmist is writing about intense personal suffering. But as you go through the psalm, it's apparent that the psalmist believes that God was with him. He has faith that God still hears his prayers. He has faith that God will deliver him out of his affliction. And it's because of his faith that he can speak about how God has met him in his pain. He can speak about it to those who are around him. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 13. He has the same spirit of faith as the psalmist. He believes, and so he speaks. His faith is what enabled him to speak to the Corinthians about the shipwrecks and the imprisonments and the beatings and the time that he was almost stoned to death with faith. He speaks because he believes. Now, we all know what it's like when we're facing suffering without faith, don't we? During a rough season of life, someone asks you how you're doing and you barely have anything to say. Well, I'm hanging on or I've been better. Now We can talk about trivial things. We can talk about how the Leafs are on a three-game win streak We can talk about how we have hope that the Blue Jays are gonna win a few more games this season, but when it talks about our pain, we have almost nothing to say because we have almost no faith left. Our mouths become empty when our faith becomes empty. Speaking about God isn't just a matter of comfort or competence. It is a matter of faith. If we believe, we will speak, If we don't believe, we won't. But if we do not speak, the result is that we are depriving others of grace. Godly speech in the midst of pain is included in the all of verse 15. For it is all for your sake. The suffering is for your sake and the speaking is for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Speaking about our suffering with faith is what extends grace to others. Paul talks about this elsewhere in Ephesians chapter four where he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words give grace. We are to speak What gives grace? And much grace is given when we speak about what God has done to meet us in our pain. How do we do that? How How do you walk by faith when it seems like God is not walking with us? How do we keep speaking about God when it seems like God has stopped speaking to us? Well, the answer is in Verse 14. Paul reveals the source of his faith. He writes, knowing, that is believing, this is is the object of my faith, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. In other words, Paul didn't find faith by looking, gazing, piercing through the darkness of his suffering, somehow seeing God's purposes there. He found faith by looking beyond his suffering and setting his gaze upon Christ crucified, and risen from the dead. It was Christ's resurrection and the future resurrection of every believer that gave him faith. It was his confidence that one day God would make everything wrong right again, that he would heal every wound, that he would bind up every broken heart, that he would wipe away every tear. Paul's hope wasn't in this world. It was in the world to come. His faith didn't depend on the shifting shadows of our circumstances. It depended on the unchanging reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future resurrection of every believer who is joined to him. When faith seemed impossible, he set his gaze upon the risen Christ and was reminded that a new day is coming. A day when he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And what a glorious day that will be. The more that we see that day with the eyes of faith, the more faith we will have. The stronger our faith will be. We will have a faith that, that endures the suffering It doesn't come and go. It is a faith that transcends the deepest suffering of this world and enables us to open our mouths and declare the wondrous works of God even when it hurts. Our pain may bring us to our knees, but it will not shut our mouths. We will speak and we will continue to speak of God's amazing grace so that grace may extend to the glory of God. This is one of the things I am most excited about because if you have been to some of our services at Sovereign Grace, you will know that our church is full of people who have this same spirit of faith. I'm I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about saints who are far more godly than me, who have afflicted, who have experienced affliction far greater than anything that I've experienced and they have persevered and they have spoken about it With faith. I am, I cannot wait for you to hear their stories. We are a church of people who believe and therefore speak. And on so many occasions, I have sat there listening to their testimonies of how the Lord has met them in their pain. We have been a suffering church. We have suffered the pain of death, we have suffered the pain of illness, we have suffered the pain of seeing people who used to walk in fellowship with us do so no longer. But as hard as it has been, we have been better for it because we have gone through that suffering together by speaking about it. It seems so simple. Grace extends through our words. But when you think about it, how does, what does God's word accomplish God's word created the universe. God's word is what brought us from spiritual death to life. And we, being made in the image of God, create, spread, extend grace to others as we speak. We speak about our suffering in faith, and that has given us much grace. Grace for the speaker and grace for the hearer. Grace that increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. I cannot wait for you to hear their stories. And we cannot wait to hear yours. It may take a bit of time to build those kinds of relationships, to get to know each other, to the point that we can share one another's suffering. But that is how grace extends. That is how the church is built. We want to get to that point so that grace may extend to more and more people. Now, Paul ends our text today with some of the most beautiful verses in the New Testament. As he considers his suffering and his speaking and his doing it all for their sake so that God would be glorified, he ends with these words. I'm just going to let them speak for themselves. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. My friends, we do not lose heart. And it's not because there's a church in this building again. And it's not because we look around and we see new and familiar faces in this sanctuary, and it's not because our church's prayers for our own building have been miraculously answered by God. Those are all things that are seen. Those are transient. If we put our hope in the things that are seen, we will inevitably be disappointed. We will inevitably lose heart. But if we put our hope in the things that are unseen, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in our future resurrection with him, in his promise that through our suffering, grace will extend to more and more people to the glory of God, then we will persevere. Then we will not lose heart, but rejoice with hearts that are full of faith that give grace to those around us. Let me wrap up with two words of application. The first is to those who are here who are formerly members of Westside or Springdale. I want you to know that we are thrilled that you've decided to come to our service today. We did not presume on that. We did not take that for granted. We are thankful that you are here. And I can honestly tell you that we've been more excited about meeting you than we have been about moving into this building because the church is a people And not a building. We want you to become part of our community. We want to learn from you. We want to fellowship with you. We want to pray with you. And when suffering comes, whether in our lives or in your lives, we want to bear that suffering together. We know that there is so much grace for us to receive from you. And we want that grace because we want God to be glorified through the increase of thanksgiving. And so please give us a chance to get to know you. Stay for lunch. Invite us into your homes. Accept our invitations to have you in our homes. Come out to our prayer meetings. Join a tag. Become part of our community. And let your faith speak. Tell us about your greatest joys. Tell us about your greatest sorrows. Tell us how we can serve you and pray for you. You know, we all know that building a community rooted in love of God and love of one another is not an easy thing. And so we ask that you give us the most precious thing that you can give us, which is your time, your time, so that we might learn to love one another to the glory of God. And for Sovereign Grace, my dear church family, I want you to look around at the new faces and don't see them as strangers to avoid. See them as saints to bless and to be blessed by. Each of those people is a rich deposit of God's grace that will increase your thanksgiving to the glory of God. You may not get to know all of them, at least not in the first few months, but you can get to know some of them. That is your mission. That is your task. That is what I encourage you to do. And as you think about who to approach, don't fall into the trap of judging by outward appearances. After all, the Apostle Paul says that the outer self wastes away, but the inner self is being renewed day by day. As a younger church, we've been praying for many years that the Lord would bring seniors to our church. And now the Lord has answered that prayer. He has brought senior saints whose inner selves are far more renewed than ours. And that means that we have so much to learn and receive from them. I've been thinking about this verse from Proverbs chapter 20. The glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. I love this proverb because it reminds us that young people have to do things to be impressive. Older people just have to show up. If you have gray hair hair here, the fact that you are here is a miracle of God's grace because you have gone through decades of suffering, of heartache, of pain, of betrayal, but you have persevered and you continue to confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your hope in his future resurrection that he has for us. You have so much to teach us about perseverance. You have so much to teach us about how God is faithful even in the midst of pain. So, Sovereign Grace Church, let us pursue them. Let us sit with them during our meals together. Let us sit with them when we are gathered on Sunday morning for worship. Let us speak about God's grace in our lives and let us listen to God's, the, the, the testimonies of God's grace in their lives so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. Thank you for transforming our lives so radically for giving us hope, and for giving us the means to persevere through the pain of this lifetime. May you do exactly what you have said in your word to extend grace to more and more people through this body of believers, through the witness of this local church, that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet put their trust in Christ, May you speak to their hearts today. Let them know that the God of Scripture is the living God, the only true creator of the universe and the lover of our souls. May they discover new life in Christ today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.